Numbers chapter 23, reading in verse number 19, if you're looking with us in your Bibles, Numbers 23 and 19, and uh, the word of the Lord says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed. And I cannot reverse it. He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob. Neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him. And the shout of a king is among them. God brought them out of Egypt. As he, as he hath as it were the strength of a unicorn. I'll come back to that. Surely there is no enchantment against Jacob. Neither is there any divination against Israel. According to this time, it shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, What hath God wrought? Behold, the people shall rise up as a great lion and lift up himself as a young lion. He shall not lie down until he eat of the prey and drink of the blood slain. You can be seated this morning. Thank you for standing with us. Thank you for standing with us while I read the word of the Lord. Now, reading from the book of Numbers, chapter 23, and uh, these verses given through the man Balaam unto Balak. We'll talk more of that in just a moment. But I want to preach this morning on three things God showed Balaam. Three things that God showed Balaam. Now, Satan and all who oppose God and the church will also oppose you. He will sneak up on you. He will hit you right after you have a great victory. Uh, Just as he wanted to do in our text to Israel, they had seen the power of God manifested again and again. And God had given them victory. He had given them victory over the Ammonites. And my friend, these then of Moab would come against them. And whenever the king of Moab had not the courage to face Israel face to face, when he did not know what else to do in stopping or impeding their progress to come through that land into the promised land, and my friend, he having having resorted to all of the other means he knew was at his disposal, he hired religion to oppose God's people. He paid a false prophet, a prophet by the name of Balaam, to curse God's people. Now Balaam is a puzzle. He is a riddle. He's an enigma. And I have said lots of things in the past about Balaam when I thought I'd figured him out. And now I've come to the place where I am not uh, sure that I've ever figured him out. And I don't know if I ever will figure him out. Balaam is an unusual character. At times it appears he's a false prophet. At times he has words from the Lord, the likeness of which we cannot deny came from God. He rebels against God's word, and yet when it comes right down to it, refuses to oppose the word of God. He will not listen to the Lord until he has to, but when he has to, he refuses to ignore it. Whenever he cannot, uh, my friend, get a word from any place else, he seeks after the Lord. He is a man who will not hear the word or see the word of God, and yet he has a donkey that has more spiritual insight than what he does. And his donkey sees an angel in the way that if Balaam continues to oppose God, the angel will slay Balaam. 
and his own animal, his own beast will not move forward and will not go forward. And Balaam in his blindness cannot see the angel. And he beats that animal and curses that animal until finally God opens the mouth and looses the tongue of Balaam's ass. And she begins to speak unto him and ask him, why are you beating me? Don't you know I'm saving your life? By not moving forward, there's an angel in the path that'll slay you if I move forward. And Balaam's eyes are opened and he begins to tremble. And my friend, the Lord speaks unto Balaam's heart. I don't know everything to think about this man, Balaam, but I do know he had a word from God. And this man, though at times he seems like he is a possibly a false prophet, there are also times when God surely gives him a sure word of prophecy that would rival anything ever spoken by Daniel or by Isaiah. It is a reminder unto me that God's Word is true regardless of the speaker. The Word of God is bigger than the preacher. The Word of God is bigger than the church. The Word of God is bigger than the Sunday school teacher. One man said, what about so-and-so, that preacher that failed? Some of those people who are saved under his preaching, is their salvation valid? Why, of course it is. If they are saved, their salvation is valid because that preacher didn't save them. And if, my friend, we quote John 3.16, or if Balaam's ass quotes John 3.16, then it is still John 3.16. It's the source of the message that doesn't matter. It is God, the author of the message, that makes the difference. Matter of fact, it ought to be a reminder to those of us who declare the Word of the Lord, whether preachers, Sunday school teachers, deacons, or singers, that we are not to think of ourselves more highly than what we ought to think. We are not the authority and we are not the source of the message. We are simply the mouthpiece. Who are you, John the Baptist, uh, out there in the wilderness? Who are you, sir? He said, I'm not he that should come. I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. I'm not the light. I just came to bear witness of the light. I'm not the source. I just came to bear witness of that source. I'm not the message. I just came as the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I am simply, as the old time preachers would say, the mouthpiece of the Lord. Speaking as it were the oracles of God, not of myself, of my friend, but of the Lord. And so Balaam, though he was a tremendously flawed character himself, the message God gave him was without error. The message God gave him was without fail. And the Lord spoke through this man Balaam. And God, in our passage of Scripture, matter of fact, you'll find multiple times in these couple of chapters where He blesses the people of Israel. But in our chapter and portion of Scripture we've read this morning, God shows three things unto Balaam. And these three things are so, whether it was that Balaam liked it or not, or Balak, the king who bribed him to prophesy falsely, liked it or not, and he didn't like it. And whether or not you or I like it or not, and whether or not the devil likes it or not, these three things are true nonetheless. God shows three things unto Balaam. And now these three things this morning can be encapsulated in these three sentences. God showed Balaam what God can do. What the sovereign can do. Secondly, He showed Balaam what Satan cannot do. And thirdly, He showed Balaam what the saints ought to do. What the sovereign can do. What Satan cannot do. 
and what the saints ought to do. That is the message this morning. And so I've given you my three things. Now let's preach a few things about those three things today. What the sovereign can do. God showed Balaam what the sovereign can do. What a place to lie down. How do you preach on this? What the sovereign can do. How in the world am I supposed to tell you in the next few minutes everything God can do? How in the world do you tackle a subject like that? But the Lord showed Balaam what the sovereign can do. I'll stay true to our text this morning and just preach on what God showed Balaam that the sovereign can do. Verse number 19, God is not a man. I'm thankful for that. That he, my friend, because in Isaiah or in Hosea chapter number 12 said, that's the reason why he hadn't lost patience with us. That's the reason why he hadn't thrown us away. That's the reason why he has not turned against us. He said, because I am God and not man. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man, that he should repent. Hath God said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? Oh, God is not a man. And unlike man, how we are not to view him based on his limitations. Man is limited. Man is defined by his inabilities. But God is not a man. And my friend, he may better be seen by his abilities. He is better defined by what the sovereign can do. We can talk this morning a long time about what you can't do and what I can't do. But when we talk about God, we need to be talking about what He can do. What the sovereign can do. My daddy used to sing that song when I was a little boy. He can, and I know that He'll stand by my side when the whole world comes crumbling in. Oh, there's no one that's ever done what He's done. He laid down His life, but He rose to live again. I'm glad he can this morning. What the sovereign can do. And listen, I, some of you this morning in the church house will say, man, but we only got a handful here in the church house and some that are listening online and some that are watching the Facebook live. And I'll go back and watch the video later. I won't hear you now, but I'm trusting you while I'm preaching. If you'd like to say, man, hit that button about 50 times. It's got that little like figure. And at least later on, I'll see a floating off of uh, thumbs up and uh, a smiley faces and uh, hearts and whatever else. I mean, do something this morning to worship the Lord. If you're in your living room in your pajamas, get up and make a lap or two and praise the Lord and your children will wonder if you're done went off and got drunk again. Amen. Get my friend intoxicated in the Holy Ghost and worship God for what the sovereign can do. The Lord is not limited. His hand is not shortened that He cannot save. Neither is His ear heavy that He cannot hear. Praise God. He is high and holy. He sits upon the throne of His holiness. What the sovereign can do. Now this is what He can do according to our text this morning. Got to stay true to the text because I can chase that all the way through the Bible what the sovereign can do. I want to tell you God told Balaam the sovereign what He can do. God can tell the truth. God can tell the truth. At verse number 19, matter of fact, not only can he tell the truth, it says that he cannot lie. He's not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Titus 1 and 2 says God cannot lie. He is the way, the truth, and the life. His Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth four times in the New Testament, three times in the Gospel of John, once in the first epistle of John. He is called the Spirit of Truth. 
God can tell the truth. My mama used to talk about some folks that we knew and she'd say they had rather climb a tree and tell a lie than to stand on the ground and tell the truth. And I know some people like that. There are some you know they are lying when their lips are moving. There are some who are compulsive liars. They lie with no cause. They lie with no reason. They make up one story to tell, to explain the previous story to explain the previous story. It's a chain of lies and misconceptions. It's a chain of deceptions and of distortions. It's a web of deceit that they're always involved in. But that is not our God. God can tell the truth. He always tells the truth. He is the truth. Everything about Him is true. Matter of fact, it is impossible for Him to lie. If God speaks it, it becomes true. Everything that He ever said is true. He spoke into things that were not true and they became true. That's the way your Bible began. He looked at a world that was dark. And my friend, that there was darkness upon the face of the deep is what the Scripture said in Genesis 1. And He said, let there be light. And when God said, let there be light in a world that was dark, there was light. You know why? Because when God says it, it is true. When God says it, it is true. That ought to help us this morning. Because there was a time that you and I had darkness ruling in our lives. We had sin and guilt ruling in our lives. And Satan said he's guilty. Satan said he ought to go to hell. Satan said he's done everything that's wrong. Satan said he had she, he and she has opposed God. Oh, but God said forgiven. God said redeemed. God said it's wiped away. God said I see no fall, no fault in him. It's not because it had been true. But when God says it, it is true. I mean, He speaks it and it becomes truth. God can tell the truth. Then secondly, not only can the sovereign tell the truth, but the sovereign can stay the same. Verse number 19, He's not a man that He should lie, neither the Son of Man that He should repent. He has said and shall He not do it? Or hath He spoken and shall He not make it good? And you see, He stays the same. He does not repent. God never changes. He never changes His mind. Amen. He doesn't flounder about making decisions. He's not wibble-wobbly in His decision-making process. He's not a, he is not thinking about doing something. He's not considering doing something. He's not weighing His options. He is decisive and He never, ever changes. Oh, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. There are those, if you hadn't seen them in a while, and to my friend, you see them again, and they've so changed you'd hardly recognize them. Oh, but thank the Lord, it's not that way with God. Things in this old world change so quickly, but it's not that way in heaven. Everything with God, everything in heaven is forever the same. His word is forever settled. His way is forever settled. His will is forever settled. God never changes heaven never changes hallelujah you don't have to worry about my friend 20 years 30 years 40 years from now I'm going to heaven and everything being different there than what you I could have known 20 30 years ago will I get to heaven my friend streets of gold walls of jasper and realize inflation has run amok and the treasury has emptied out and that God can no longer afford to pay his bills and that now he will have to file by 
bankruptcy. Amen. And my friend, things never change. And the heavenly dollar is never diminished in value. There will be no sudden outbreaks of disease or sickness over there. God will not take a sabbatical from the throne. He is forever the same. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. The sovereign can tell the truth. The sovereign never changes. We sing that song, time has made a change in me. And that's a fact for every one of us, but God ain't singing it today. The Lord is not singing time has made a change in me because the Lord has not changed over time. He is not affected by time nor space, nor moods, nor disease, nor wars, nor pestilence. And my friend, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence by night. Amen. The terror that moves in the moonlight. None of those things affect God. He is forever the same. God can say the same. So what can the sovereign do? He can He can tell the truth. What can the sovereign do? He can stay the same. What can the sovereign do this morning? God can bless His people. Look at verse number 20. The scripture says, Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed. And I, that is Balaam the prophet, I cannot reverse it. Oh, my friend, he blesses. Listen to this phrase. He blesses with irreversible blessings. Amen. The prophet says, The Lord is blessed, and I can't reverse it. God has blessed, and I can't change it. God has blessed, and I can't turn it around. I'm glad God can bless with irreversible blessings. Oh, do you know what those are this morning? Listen to me. The Lord can bless with some irreversible blessings. There are some things when God does it, there's nothing the devil can do about it. Amen. These Israelites were in the wilderness between Egypt and Canaan. And at times they didn't feel blessed. Oh, but they were blessed with irreversible blessings. How? Oh, how were they blessed? They were blessed because they were not in Egypt anymore. Amen. And the devil couldn't do a thing in the world about it. And the wild couldn't do a thing in the world about it. And nobody could change that. The king of Moab didn't like it. Balak, the prophet Balaam couldn't change it. God's people had been set free. My friend from Egyptian slavery, they were no longer in Egypt. It was an ear irreversible blessing. Oh, what I'm saying, if you're saved by God's marvelous grace this morning, He has blessed you with an irreversible blessing. I am out of Egypt and I'll never have to go back again. Hallelujah. I have been delivered. I have been brought out, thank God. They were blessed because they weren't in Egypt. They were blessed because they were not slaves. And no longer did the crack of the taskmaster's whip echo in their ear and bless to their backs. But thank God they were delivered. They were no longer abused by their oppressors. And that blessing could not be reversed. The Red Sea had swallowed up old Pharaoh. The other evening my wife and I and some of the children, they were sort of in and out. But 
brought my wife and I and a little bit of the kids in and out watching how some of that Ten Commandments and how Moses delivered those children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage and the Lord and my friends sending mighty powers in that place and we watched as they come up out of that middle of that Red Sea and my friend Pharaoh and his army are saying to do so we're drowned in the sea the scripture says and we watched as the waves begin to crash in on them and the chariots upended by the waters and Miriam on the other side of the sea Miriam stood up and began to dance before the Lord and began to sing a song and worship God and they began to rejoice and shout praise hear me that's what it was like when God brought you out of Egyptian bondage when he brought you out of sin when he brought you out from him under the power of Pharaoh and sin slavery and thank God he closed up the sea behind us I say thank God for the old song and my friend that he locked the gates of hell behind me and that he threw the key away I praise God for the day I'll never have to be afraid of that place because he's blessed us with an irreversible blessing hallelujah hallelujah in your Christian walk you will face lean times but you are blessed just not to be who you once were whatever you face it cannot take away what God put in your heart whatever you encounter it cannot strip away what the Lord has done in your soul you may face hunger you may face pestilence you may face war you may face famine you may face sickness you may face disease you will face death if the rapture doesn't translate us first but nothing you face can reverse the blessings that God has put in our hearts he has blessed us with irreversible blessings God can bless His people. What can the sovereign do? He can tell the truth. He can stay the same. He can bless His people. And then we find out in the message that uh, the Lord showed unto Balaam. He showed him what the sovereign can do and that He can justify the sinner. Look at verse number 21. The scripture says, He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him. And he said, uh, the shout of a king is among them. Israel was a crooked man and his seed was a twisted bunch. But when God saw them after the bloody Passover door, he saw no iniquity in them. He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob. He has not seen perverseness in Israel. That crowd that said, can God have set a table in the wilderness? That crowd that said, God's brought us out in the wilderness to die. That crowd that denied doubted the Lord. That crowd that said we don't have faith to take over the land of Canaan. That same crowd that we criticize and the Bible tells us about their flaws. Yet when God looked at them He said I didn't see all their flaws. I didn't see all their sins. I didn't see all their faithlessness. I didn't see all their doubt. I didn't see all their shortcomings. What I saw was the bloody door from down there in Egypt. What I saw was the Lamb and the blood of the Lamb shed. What I saw was forgiveness. What I'm saying to you is, friend, when He sees us, we have been saved by God's grace. He does not see me in my shortcomings and my 
shortfalls and myself coming far short of the glory of God. What he sees is the blood of Jesus. What he sees is the blood of the Lamb. What he sees is I'm in the pasture. I have entered in the door. I am his and he is mine. And when he sees me, he sees his son. He has the power to justify. And he sees us different because of what God can do. Oh, about the best man can do is forgive. When we sin, man may forgive. But you mark it down, buddy, he won't forget. Human beings may forgive, and yet somewhere or another locked in the back recesses of their heart and their minds, they will never forget. Even if they try, they're not God. And they just can't seem to forget. Oh, but you know what God does? Not only does He forgive, but my friend, He never brings it up again. It will be remembered against us no more. My friend, that is, He justifies. Justification, it is justified, never sin. God can justify. God can nullify. God can legally wipe sin out. Satan accuses me. He comes along and says, God, don't you back and see when Toby Powers lost his temper back in 1988 and the devil remembers it and I sit back and say oh my I don't want the Lord to know about that and God searches the record book and he says what sin are you talking about I don't remember it anymore somebody ought to shout hallelujah I'm telling you friend that's what justification is that devil brings up your past and God says I don't know anything about it. The devil says he's no care. And God says he looks like my son. The devil says he's not fit for heaven. And God says there's a family resemblance. He belongs here. That's what justification is. I looked upon that twisted bunch of Israelites and I saw no iniquity in them. I saw no perverseness in them. I saw my son. I saw forgiveness. I saw the blood of the lamb on them. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God can justify. God can justify. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. And that makes me want to jump a foot and a half high and run to Goobertown, Arkansas. But they've warned us about no unnecessary travel in these days. Hallelujah. Praise God, I'm glad I'm saved. Hallelujah. What the sovereign can do, he can justify. He can justify what the sovereign can do. He can tell the truth. He can stay the same. He can bless the people. He can justify. And then the latter part of verse 21 says, The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. God was with him, and the shout of the king is among them. Oh, isn't that a blessing? He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He can give the victory. Amen. And he said on top of that, I'm listening to him, and I hear him shout. Don't mistake this. Don't think it's God shouting among them. Oh no. He has made us to be kings and priests. These who were slaves. These who did receive the end of Pharaoh's whip. God said they're now kings. And when I listen to them, I don't hear a bunch of mealy mouthed mice whining and crying about them. But instead, I hear the shout of victory among them. It's the shout of the 
sound of a spirit-filled believer. They are singing, victory is mine. Victory today is mine. The shout of the child of God is a shout of the king. It's a shout of the king. Hallelujah. And I know there are those who just don't like shouting. And that they, if they are saved, may need a, an adjustment period when they do get to heaven. Because, brother, we're going to shout over there. And I'm going to practice up while I'm here. I don't want to go to heaven and have to learn how. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. We ought to have the shout of a king among us. God's people ought to be a rejoicing people. Yet people have said, oh, but preacher, don't you know about what all is going on in the world? I'm telling you, I knew about what was going on in the world before some of you realized anything was going on in the world. I was shouting then and I'm shouting now. Do you not realize what's going on in glory this morning? Maybe you need to hear about that. If you quit paying attention to what's going on in the world and realize what's going on in glory, you quit acting like the world and start acting like the new up there. Hallelujah. Do you realize that when we rejoice down here, when we shout down here, when we praise God down here, what we are doing, Brother Thomas, is an echo of what is happening over there. I mean, in heaven, you think anybody's whining, anybody's moping, anybody's pining, anybody's wringing their hands, and to my friend, they're pulling their hair out, scratching their heads, eating Rolaids, drinking Malons, taking Alka-Seltzer, plop, plop, fizz, fizz, looking for relief. I'm telling you in heaven, hands raised, palm branches waving in the air. The shout of the king is among them. They're saying hallelujah to the Lamb. Blessed be the name of God. Amen. He is worthy. Worthy as the Lamb. That's what they're doing over there. And when we do that over here, we echo what is happening over there. The shout of a king is among them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise his name. When we sing I'm redeemed by love divine glory, glory Christ is mine. Christ is mine. You know what we're doing? We're singing the same thing they're singing. Thou hast redeemed us of every nation, every kindred, every tongue, every tribe. Thou hast redeemed us. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Whenever we begin to gather around and sing hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah to the Lamb that was slain. When we sing like that, we're singing what they sing over yonder in heaven. We are echoing what's happening on the other side. We need to realize this morning not what's all going on in the world. We've all had about enough of that. We need to realize what's going on in heaven. We need a double dose of that. And we need to echo it while we are here in this whole world. The shout of a king is among them. When we rejoice in Jesus, we echo what is happening in our eternal home. The shout of the child of God. No complaints being filed. No moans of defeat. No utterance of failure. But in heaven it's a shout of victory and it all will be glory after a while. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I was thinking about Brother Sammy Allen this week. And uh, you know, honestly, I've been around him a lot. And I've never heard him complain about anything. I mean, I never have. And I'm not telling you I've gotten where he is because I have not. I'm good at it. I mean, I'm a professional. If you want to know how to complain, come. You, I can give you lessons. 
I'm a professional, but brother, I never heard Brother Sammy complain about anything. I've seen people talk ugly about him and him smile. Love him anyway. I've watched him literally go buy him a shirt or something like that and give it to him because it's ugly to him. I've seen him hug folks' neck while they're talking ugly to him, cursing him. I've watched people tell ugly stories about him and him, him getting to camp meetings setting and a bunch of people sitting around a table and everybody on that table knows that somebody else at that table has criticized him heavily. He never would participate in saying another word. I've never heard him say another word about another preacher ever. Never heard him complain. Well, if we could get to that place instead of this stuff of always being in the mully grubs, always looking at the dark side of the moon, always living like her mother-in-law's moved in with us and we've lost her best friend. And I'll say that says some mother-in-law's here this morning just to needle at her a little bit. I mean, friend, we, uh, how we live our lives so often our things are always on the downside. Whenever we are children of the king, we are members of the royal family. How God has put his royal blood in our veins when we rejoice, the shout of a king is heard among us. Amen. What the sovereign can do, God can tell the truth. God can stay the same. God can bless his people. God can justify. God can give the victory. Second thing God showed Balaam in this passage was not only what the sovereign can do, but what Satan cannot do. Look at verse 22 in your Bibles. God brought them out of Egypt. He hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. All right. Y'all don't lose me before I can tell you what Satan cannot do here. God brought them out. Do you think Satan liked that? Do you think the devil appreciated the Lord doing something good for his people? Not at all. God in bringing them out heard the cry in Egypt. And his heart was moved with compassion towards them. You think the devil liked that business? But you know what the devil couldn't do? He couldn't stop it. He could not stop what God was doing for his people. Hallelujah. God brought them out. And the devil didn't like it. The devil didn't agree with it. The devil didn't want it. But he could not stop God's working in their lives. Oh, if you've been brought out. If you've been saved. If you've been delivered. If you've been forgiven. The devil didn't like it. The devil didn't want it. The devil didn't agree with it. But the devil couldn't stop it. Oh, he could strike the back of those Hebrew slaves in Egypt. He could force them to make bricks without straw. He could toss their boy babies in the Nile River to be eaten by crocodiles. He could pressure them to give up hope. But he could not stop the working of God in their lives. Oh, I'm telling you, Satan has limited. We learn what he cannot do. Oh, from our text this morning, I want to tell you, Satan cannot stop your exodus from Egypt. He can't stop you from being delivered. He can't stop you from leaving Satan's domain. He can't stop your salvation by grace. Deliverance from Egypt is an illustration of being born again. And Satan cannot stop you from being saved. He'll do all he can to make you not receive Jesus. He'll do all he can to discourage you from trusting the Lord. But when my fitting comes down, 
down to brass tacks. When it comes right down, my friend, to the pressure time, when it comes right down to the moment of trusting God, He cannot stop you from being saved. He cannot keep you from being born again. Salvation is of the Lord, and it is none of the devil's business. Satan cannot stop your exodus from Egypt. Brother, if he could, he would have. If the devil could have seen to it that T.J. Cocker just went to hell and never made his way to an altar to be saved, he would have. Amen. If he could have seen to it that Toby Powers would have never bowed his head to my friend in the football field in Paulding County in 1989, he would have. But the devil couldn't do a thing about it. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, praise his name. The devil's mad and I'm glad he lost his soul he thought he had. Hallelujah. I've been birthed the family of God is, yeah. and he's mine forevermore yeah. he'll lift you up above the shadows plant your feet on higher ground yeah. and there's not a thing on earth the devil can do about it Amen. Satan cannot stop your exodus from Egypt Satan cannot halt your progress in the wilderness he did all he could to cause it that way sent fiery serpents but God sent a more powerful one on a pole Lift it up. Hallelujah. Sent Pharaoh to chase them down, but God split the Red Sea wide open for them to walk through. Sent Ammonites and Perizzites and Ahivites and Jebusites and Canaanites. Oh, my friend, he sent Moabites and Termites and all the other ites that come against them in the land. And yet, my friend, one after the other, Jericho walls fell flat. And my friend, they ran in fear of the people of the Lord. Loaves of bread would tumble through a valley and slay thousands in the middle of the night. If you don't know what I'm talking about, read the Bible. I'm telling you, God would give them deliverance. God would give them victory. And when their enemies would rise up, even after they got into Canaan's land, I swell up with pride and come against the Israelites. God would raise up a deliverer. Sometimes he'd have an ox goat in his hand. Sometimes he was a fellow with a bad haircut. Sometimes he was just a, a mealy-mouthed man and a spirit-filled woman who had the power of God on their lives. Oh, sometimes he's a left-handed fella with a short knife. But God would send deliverance to the judges and his people would repent and the Lord would deliver them. What I'm saying is, my friends, sometimes it'll be natural disasters, the swelling of Jordan. Sometimes it'll be the opposition of the enemy. Sometimes it'll be graves in the wilderness, sickness and disease. But the devil cannot stop the progress of God's people moving towards Canaan's family. And someday we're arising up as it were with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm plowing through the wilderness and a cloud of smoke behind us. A sea washing Pharaoh's army under underfoot and sometimes it's just sitting in the wilderness friend, waiting for manna to fall from heaven. But in the times when we're moving wide open and the times when we're sitting still and waiting on God, God is still God. And there ain't a thing in the world the devil can do to stop us. We are but my friend a band of Christian soldiers marching on to war with the cross of Jesus going on before Satan cannot halt your progress he is not in charge of your spiritual walk is everybody listening to that this morning 
Satan does not have power over your spiritual walk. Hallelujah. He may come to buffet you and to even be a thorn in the flesh. But if he does, the word the Lord Himself will give more grace than what Satan gives trouble. Amen. Now I want you to see something here. Everybody look with me in your Bibles. I know that those old preachers used to say, watch your Bible like it was fixing to jump up and run off. Watch your Bible here. Verse 22, the latter part of the verse, God brought him out by, brought him out with Egypt. He hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. Now what about that? A unicorn. Explain that one for me. A unicorn. Does everybody know there's no such thing as the mythical creature, the unicorn? The horse with a horn right there square in the middle of his head grows out, you know, and he flies in the air and has pixie dust and, and fairies ride on him and they, they bounce around on the skies and the, and the, and the mountains over in Greece. Y'all know there's no such thing as that, don't you? And the Bible is not even talking about that. Unicorn. You know what this is? It's the one horned mighty animal of Egypt. A black rhinoceros. Unicorn. Uni meaning one. We'll get to the entomology of the thing. Uni meaning one. One horn. One horn. The unicorn is a rhinoceros. A black African rhinoceros. Now you really want to compliment your husband, ladies? Go home this afternoon Tell him that he looks like a black African rhinoceros and you love him so much. He'll feel powerful. The Lord said you as his people are a black African rhinoceros. I don't hear nobody rejoicing over that. Heard a missionary a few weeks ago telling a story about being in Africa on a, on a trip and said that while they were there they saw a giant bull, African bull elephant. Some 12,000 pounds. Woo! 12,000 pound African elephant. And said that African elephant was angry at a tree. He said, I don't know what that tree did to upset him so much. But it obviously had tore him up because he headbutted that tree over and over and over and over and over again. And when he decided he couldn't headbutt it no more, and it began to tip over, he took his snout and went up under that tree. And the old elephant wrapped his trunk around it, pulled the tree out of the ground, and slammed it back to the ground again. And reared back and woo! He yelled and hollered. And he said, I've never seen such a thing in my life. And he said, I asked that tour guide, I said, that has got to be the most powerful animal in the whole world. He said, almost, preacher, almost. But he said, there's one. The black African rhinoceros. He's less than half his size. But he's got a lot more power. And on top of that, he's got a horn. 
And said he'll come along and find that big old elephant while every other animal of the, of the forest is running from him. And said he can run 30 miles an hour. And whenever he hits that big old tub-bellied elephant in the, in the side and takes his horn, puts it up under his gut, he can take that 12,000-pound elephant and flip him over on his back, kill him and destroy him. He said there's one animal greater and more powerful than even that 12,000-pound elephant. It is is a black African rhinoceros. And when God says, when He brought him out of Israel, He has, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. That is, God has empowered His people mightier than all. We're not bigger than the rest. We're not prettier than the rest. We're not more attractive than the rest. But we've got a power that others don't know. We have a power that hell cannot assail. We have a power that the devil cannot stop. Oh, Jesus looked at old Peter and he said, The gates of hell upon this rock shall I build my church, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against sin. I'm glad we have power in the name of Jesus. And that's what God said His people are like. We're not to be mealy mouthed, mumbling mice. We are to be as power as a rhino. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Satan cannot stop your progress and your walk with God. God, he will try, but the faithful believer cannot be defeated. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Satan cannot stop your exodus from Egypt. Satan cannot halt your progress. Satan cannot keep the gospel silent. Satan cannot silence the gospel. Look at verse number 23. Surely there is no enchantment against David. There's no spell I can throw on him. God's blessed him and I can't curse him. I can't throw a spell out there on him. There is no, en no enchantment to be found. Every devil in hell can't override what God's done for him. Neither is there any divination, no power of divine nature that can come against him according to this time. It shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, what hath God wrought? What hath God Wrought. The work of God and the gospel. Power of God. Man will stand back in awe. They did it. The apostles preached. Ignorant and unlearned men. And yet they said one thing for sure. They've been with Jesus. Fishermen and tax collectors, zealots, and to my friend, uh, common men, carpenters and such. And yet they said, if we don't stop them, they're going to turn the whole world upside down. And when they tried to stop them, they couldn't stop them. Oh, my friend Herod said, I don't like old John the Baptist or his preaching, so I'll cut his head off. And he found out he could cut John's head off, but he couldn't stop the voice of God. He could not stop or silence the gospel. Oh, my friend, we see it in our day and in our time. Oh, it's happened all throughout human history. The forces of hell have come against the gospel of God. And yet all across the countryside this morning, little two-by-four preachers like me are standing in pulpits. Some, my friend, in pulpits. Some in their living rooms and their homes. Some, my friend, in empty buildings. Some on street corners being ignored. And yet there are still men stripping out their voices yeah. I'm preaching the top of their voices yeah. Jesus saves, delivers and heals yeah. and my friend they cannot silence yeah. the message of the gospel Amen. 
Amen. Amen. Amen. The media and the government may seek to empty out the church buildings. Tech companies may seek, seek to shadow ban the streams and the broadcast and the truth of the gospel of Christ, calling it hate speech. Google Play and iTunes have made my friend that try to conceal or ban applications of the scriptures and keep them from your smartphones. My friend Google may seek my friend to push down the search results, the truth of the word of God, and they do, by the way. If you don't know what world you're living in, somebody tell me to figure out what's going on in the world. I can tell you what's going on in the world. And a lot of you wouldn't want to believe it or hear it. And my friend, they may count. And the liquor store essential. And the abortion clinic essential. And the church is not even really optional. And ban you from it. But what they cannot do is silence the message of the gospel. We're not in the first day of time. Nor in the only place in the world where God's people have been ignored, lambasted, lampooned, and laughed at. It has been true ever since. At the dawn of human history that those who seek after God face the wrath and rage of the heathen as you taught in Sunday school this morning that is not new to human history I tell you what else is not new we keep marching forward we keep serving God the message keeps going forward I tell you Jesus still saves hallelujah I was a 19 year old preacher boy been preaching on the radio for about five years at that point. Still pastoring the first church. Just about to, actually that's just within weeks of resigning, the first church I pastored. And uh, a fella came from overseas, Great Britain, the old country. And he talked funny. He thought I talked funny. I thought he talked funny. He didn't speak as good English as what I do. And uh, <laughs> he was writing a book for the British Broadcasting Corporation, the BBC. He was writing a book for them and doing a radio show about radio evangelists in America. And he sought out small towns and little country hick towns and places, you know, that were remote in the States, small stations, grassroots, you know, and wanted to interview the ministers of the gospel in America that were preaching across the airwaves. And uh, the folks at the radio station said, we've got a couple of them here that you probably want to talk to. And one of them's a young man we think you'll really like. And I met with the fellow and interviewed for his book that he was writing and for his radio show that he did. Did two or three or four takes with an interview, broadcast information. You know, he's doing his mobile broadcast, funny-looking microphone, headphones on. And we did one or two uh, interviews sitting in his car. My fan did one or two interviews in the radio station and so forth. And he took some of my preaching I'd been using on the, on the radio station and took some of it back to the old country with him. And some of it that was then shared during his radio broadcast. And I thought, what a great opportunity to be able somehow to declare the gospel, to share something, to be able to have a voice to people who maybe or maybe not hearing the gospel, another outlet. I mean, I'm paying for time on the radio station here. Here's another outlet to be able to share the gospel with people I'll never see or know about. And I didn't know what he'd even use the material for until time came that somebody sent me some of it from overseas. And I made his book. I made his book. The chapter where he lamb laughed at, lampooned, lambasted, 
mocked, made fun of, threw arrows at every old time preacher of the gospel. And after I had been gracious and kind to him, and he even admitted him in his book, he treated me like an animal. And as a 19-year-old preacher boy, it was discouraging. And uh, he made fun of my preaching. He made fun of the message. He made fun of the gospel. He made fun of my manner. And he made big-time fun of the people who came to hear the gospel. And he laughed at me, and he said in the book that he would forever use clips from our preaching to mock preachers like me who thought this was the way to present a message to a people that needed to hear a doctrine of theology. And he broadcast my messages as a way to mock me on the BBC. And about six weeks later, I got a letter from Scotland. And a man in Scotland sent me a letter and he said, I heard your preaching on the BBC and it reminded me of the things mama taught me as a little boy. And I want you to know that I put my faith and trust in Jesus and I'm on my way to heaven. And he said, they've been laughing at you and making fun of you over here, but there's somebody on the other side of the pond that's praying for you. Keep on preaching and telling people about Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, Satan can laugh and make fun, lamboo, a lampoon and lambast. He can mock the old time church. What he cannot do is silence the message of the gospel that has been about 25 years ago now. I don't know if the man that wrote that book is even alive or not. I've got a copy of the book in my office. I don't know if he's even alive or not. But by the grace of God, I'm still preaching this morning. I'm still preaching the same way I was preaching then. Yeah. I'm still preaching on the radio and still preaching on the internet. Yeah. I'm still preaching in person when people are let me. Yeah. I'm still preaching to revival if we ever have another one. Yeah. And my friends still preaching Jesus yeah. if anybody ever listens again or not. Yeah. I have not changed the gospel nor have I changed the manner of the preaching. Yeah. The devil cannot stop the message of Christ. Yeah. He cannot keep the gospel quiet. The iron curtain of the evil communist Soviet Union that slaughtered Christians could not stop the gospel. The Nazis of Germany, the fascists of Italy, Tojo's Japanese kamikazes, Castro's communist Cuba, the red Chinese, the Marxists, the socialists, the Democrats, the Supreme Court of the United States have all taken measures to muzzle the gospel and to shut up the preacher. But Satan cannot stop the gospel of Christ. Mayors, governors, and doubt-peddling church people cannot silence the gospel of Jesus Christ. Haman, friend. Oh, the Hamans, the Herods, the Hitlers, the Husseins have not silenced the gospel. Hell, for many years now, Satan's tried to stop us. But the church of Jesus is still alive like a mighty army. We keep marching onward, winning every battle with the Lord by our side. We've got the power in the name of Jesus. We've got the power in the name of the Lord. Communist Chinese cut out the tongue of Watchman Nee, but he wrote the gospel and touched more with a pen than he could have ever touched with his tongue or reached with his voice. Ecuador's Quechua Indians killed 28-year-old missionary Jim Elliott, but his wife and others would continue the work and see many conversions amongst those same heathens that slew him. Today, two Christian schools bear Jim's name and they train champions for Christ. 
William Tyndall sought the Bible to be translated into English, but the opposition to his efforts burned him at the stake. And his final words were heard as he prayed, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. And today we hold in our hands a King James Bible as an answer to that dying, burning man's prayer. Lord, open the King's eyes. And God, open King James's eyes. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Satan cannot silence the gospel. Praise God. This morning, I don't feel cowardice. I don't know if you sense it or not, but I feel the shout of a king rise up in me. I feel like I could take a water pistol and charge hell. Amen. Swing over out over on on a rotten thread, sing victory in Jesus and squirt the devil in the eye. Praise God. Hallelujah. We have sat still and silent long enough in this land. What God, the sovereign, can do, what Satan cannot do, and I'm finishing with this. I'm not preaching just a moment on this last point. What the saints ought to do. Verse 24, the last verse of our text. Behold, the people shall rise up as a great lion. Rise up as a great lion. Amen. (laughs) and shall lift himself up as a young lion. He shall not lie down. Go rise up, not lie down. Rise up, not lie down. Amen. Until he eat of the prey and drink the blood of the slain. That is victory, friend. That is overcoming. That is exertion of power. That is total and complete dominance. He says, rise up as a great lion, not an old toothless lion or some little old house kitten. Not some fat, lazy orange cat like we have around our house. We got a cat so fat he can't walk. He's like an orange basketball with fur and legs. I mean, he's round when he tries to walk. His old belly goes this way up under him like he's carrying a tub of water. Furry old lazy rascal. He can't even, you don't have to worry about him jumping on a counter. He can't jump any higher than that about right there. He'd have a heart attack if he had to run from anything or after anything. About the most excitement he gets is looking out the window and twitching his tail. And we all are about to get in the same place he is right now. And we all, if we keep eating like that, going to end up like him, do. Oh, but he said to rise up, not lie down, not a house kitten, not a toothless old worn out, giving up lying, starving to death in a cage somewhere, but a great lion, a young lion. You know who we resemble? We resemble our lion. Amen. The lion of the tribe of Judah. How the lion of the tribe of Judah, by the way, was that insignia on their banner. How when they went out to war, they carried a banner, something similar to a flag. It's not really, but that's as close as I can get. How they carry their banner out and the banner of the tribe of Judah was a rampant lion that is a lion standing on his hind legs with his mouth open and his teeth shining and his claws let out he was ready for war he said rise up like a great lion rise up like a young lion rise up like your lion the lion of the tribe of Judah that's what we ought to do don't quit don't lay down rise up he said, until, how long? How long are we supposed to rise up? How long are we supposed to fight? How long are we supposed to be like a lion? 
until we eat the prey. Until the hunt is finished. Until the battle is over. Until the blood is spilled on the ground. It's an emblem of total victory. You know what the conditions of our truce, of our peace meeting, our peace treaty is? It is total unconditional surrender. In other words, we're not quitting until we land our feet safely and plant our a flag, my friend, on the other side of Jordan. And we, my friend, can lay down our swords, beat them in the plowshares. And my friend, sit down by the riverside and study war no more. But between here and there, it's time to raise up a spear, time to raise up a sword, time to lace up your boots, time to put on the whole armor of God. Amen. Yes, sir. What the saints ought to do. We ought to stay in the battle. Satan may use pygmies against others, but he sends giants to fight Holy Ghost filled believers. Amen. Amen. <laughs> but we shall not lie down. I want to tell you something. I'm turning that upside down just a minute. <laughs> Faith and doubt are real similar. Now don't let your hair fall out over that. Most men of faith that you know spend a lot more time in doubt than what they want to let on. I mean, Daniel's a man of great faith, wasn't he? He prayed for 30 days and wondered why God hadn't heard his prayer. Faith and doubt are very similar. John the Baptist, greatest ever born of a woman. And yet he had uncertainties in his life. He even sent two apostles when he was in prison, two disciples, and asked Jesus, Art thou he that should come, or should we look for another? What if your preacher got up on Sunday and said, I'm not real sure if Jesus is the Messiah or not. We might have to hunt somebody else. Faith and doubt are very close to each other. And often the greatest people of faith that you've ever known are also people who have battled doubt. Matter of fact... Faith and doubt often will leave you laying in the same place, in the dirt. But notice what he said, thou shalt not lie down. You know what the difference in faith and doubt is? Doubt falls on his back and faith falls on his face. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> doubt lays down on his back and says, I give up. Faith falls on his face and says, Oh God, you've got to help. <laughs> Doubt falls backwards. Faith falls forward. <laughs> oh, listen to me. Proverbs said that the righteous man, you know what he does? He falls. He falls seven times. And you know what makes him righteous? He just keeps getting back up. And listen to me. You may fall and 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 you may fall. But so long as you keep rising and keep rising and keep rising and keep rising, then you're doing the right thing. Oh, bless his name. If you fall, it's all right. Just get back up. And listen, hey, even if you're falling, so long as you keep falling on your face, you're going to keep moving forward. So long as you fall on your face, you're not going backwards. So long as you fall on your face, you're making progress. The child of God, if you fall, just fall on your face before God. Just trust Him, the Lord. There will be times your feet will be taken out from under you. But don't just lay down. 
rampant lion, rise back up again. Stay in the battle. You know why I didn't quit preaching a long time ago? Because I didn't quit preaching a long time ago. You know why you hadn't quit serving God? Because you haven't quit serving God. Is anybody listening? I'm a genius, aren't I? Build a model after it. Hallelujah. You know why that you're still, your family's still together and you're still married, your husband and wife still married to one another? You know why you still got a family in a home? Because you didn't quit. You know why you didn't quit playing the piano? Because you didn't quit playing the piano. You don't think Tanya wanted to quit playing the piano, do you? Every day of her life, she wanted to quit playing the piano. She'd say, I like singing. I don't like playing this piano. Mom would say, play that piano. I'm going to kill you. She'd play that piano. And she'd sit there and play that piano. Mother would say, you've only practiced 20 minutes. You hadn't practiced 30 minutes. 10 more minutes. 10 more minutes. She'd say, boy, she's keeping she had She set the timer on the stove. you got to play for 30 minutes. And if you quit for two or three minutes, I'm just going to tack out on to the end. You sit there and play that piano. You know why she's still playing today? You know why she sat there? this morning for folks who are both in the building and those who are listening on the live stream have recordings for days to come because she didn't quit playing the piano I got, I got a note not long ago from a missionary in India and he said to me and asked me about my preaching he said who is that lady that always seems to play and to sing the invitation songs at the close of the service I said that's my sister and he said oh said you don't know what a blessing she is he said sometimes I fast forward through the sermon you listen to her sing and play at the close of the meeting you know why she's still playing the piano because she didn't quit playing the piano are you listening to me this morning you know why you are here this morning because you didn't quit coming to church you know why you're still praying because you hadn't stopped praying you know why you're still walking for God because you have not quit don't stop and quit in the battle Anybody listening to the preaching this morning? Hallelujah. Someone asked on Facebook the other day, I guess now that we're broadcasting all the time on Facebook, it ain't uh, carnal for me to mention something somebody said on Facebook while I'm preaching. Somebody said on Facebook the other day, said, what is, a, what is something your preacher always says that everybody would know it was him if he said it? Pam answered and she said, my preacher always says, is anybody listening to the preacher or know what I'm talking about? You know why I hadn't quit saying that? Because I hadn't quit. And I'm still wondering, is anybody listening to the preacher or know what I'm talking about? Somebody ought to give me about 40 of them little hey. buttons on the Facebook. Hey. God help us this morning. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Stay in the battle. Strive in the battle. Don't just sit on the battlefield. Don't just sleep on the battlefield. Don't just struggle to stay on the battlefield. Strive for the battle. Rise up as a great lion. Lift up himself as a young lion. You may be alone in the battle. Notice what he said. Lift up himself. There wasn't nobody else there to pick him up. He was all alone. No team there to fight with. He was isolated, quarantined, relegated from the rest of the world. And yet somehow he said to himself, Self, get up from here. Self, don't lie here forever. Self, it's time to dust yourself off and go forth in the battle. Self, it is time to serve the Lord. Amen. 
If I lie outside the gate, I'm going to die. If I stay in quarantine, I'm going to die. If I go inside the city, I'm going to die. If I go down there to where the enemy is, I'm going to die. Anybody remember what I'm talking about from 2 Kings? But those four leper boys said, I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to do something. That's what we're going to do. Strive, because we're going to die if we don't. Stay in the battle, strive in the battle. Be sure, be sure, be sure in the battle. Now I'm going to turn this back over and make my hair fall out. Looking at it, scared me to death. That's why I turned it upside down when I want to preach. Not as a mouse, as a lion. You see, we're going to win either way. We are going to win. Live or die, sink or swim. The enemy takes over or they don't. You go to the hospital or you go to the, uh, the battlefield. It doesn't matter. We're going to win. Amen. I can't lose for winning. Amen. Amen. Win so much I don't know what to do with myself. You can be sure of it this morning. Amen. We are not fighting a losing battle. Amen. We are in a rigged fight. Just waiting for them to sound the victory call. And they're not going to ring the bell. They're going to blow the trumpet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and when the battle's over, we shall wear a crown. <laughs> yeah. Hallelujah. When I'm broken from the battle and I've lost another round, Satan whispers to my troubled heart, just lay your armor down. Where are those you've loved and trusted? Look around you. They're all gone. Would be easy to surrender when you're standing all alone. But I see a great band of angels camped all around me. And I hear the battle cry of the master rising up the battle to me. And I know I'm safe from all harm when I'm trusting Jesus. Oh, yes. The battle is His. The victory is mine. And victory is sweet. Be sure in the battle. Be sure, be yeah. sure, be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. Yeah. Hallelujah, be sure. Hey. Come on and sing that beautiful stuff that that man said all the way from the other side of the ocean. He'll fast forward through all of my preaching to hear you play and sing this morning. A drunken man, listen to me this morning. I've told this for 30 years. Still just cranks my tractor. A drunken man threatens the life of his devoted wife. In his intoxicated state, he slaps her around, beats her up, curses the name of God. But she never stopped preparing to go to prayer meeting. Finally, having done all he can stand, he loads a forty-five, cocks the hammer, points it straight to her head and screams, If you go to church... I'm going to blow your brains out. What are you going to do now? Without hesitation, she looked back at him and said, If you pull that trigger, I'm going to heaven. And if you don't, I'm going to church. Are you listening to me this morning? You pull that trigger, I'm going to heaven. And if you don't, I'm going to church. I wonder, are you committed to Christ? Committed to the battle, committed to living for Jesus, committed to his service. 
Are you a lion lying down? Are you a great lion rising up? Are you staying in the battle, struggling in the battle, sure in the battle? What God can do, He still can do and always will do. He's not changed. What Satan cannot do, he can't do and he never will be able to do. What we ought to do, we better get busy doing while there's time to do it. While there's time to do it. We got a small group this morning. This is a big old church building. We got altar space that runs 50 feet wide around here. And we got room for people to pray. And if you need to, I want to invite you. There's a place for you. There's room at the cross for you. Sister Tanya's going to sing. If you need to pray, you do business with the Lord. Everybody stand, please. Those of you watching on the live stream this morning, you ought to search your heart. You ought to search where you stand with God. Listen to the recording in days ahead. All across the world, people have graciously paid attention, listened online to our church broadcast for years. Wherever you are, Whatever it is, you ought to examine your own heart. Make sure you're right with God. Examine your service to the Lord. Hear and heed the message and get things right with God. If you've never been saved, today is a day of salvation. Tomorrow may be too late. Sing for us when you're ready.